leading up to our anniversary service, which is tomorrow. No, not tomorrow. It's a week from now. It's in a week from now. Don't come here tomorrow expecting an anniversary service, okay? So, but we have an anniversary service in a week. <laughs> and leading up to this, we've been talking about what makes our heart beat at the Grove. Not as an organization, but as the organism, as we the people. Like, what makes us alive? And it's all attached to our story. And last week we saw that we were strangers to God. We looked at the verse that said, welcome the stranger as a native among you, for you once were strangers. And so we said, what does it mean to be a stranger? And it means that we have longings that nothing in this world can satisfy. And there's a, there's a German word called Zenzut, and it means a longing for that which I know not what. In other words, every single human being is designed for something greater. We know that there is more than what we're made than, than here. We're made for more. And so C.S. Lewis helps us and he says, if I have desires, nothing in this world can satisfy. I can only conclude that I'm made for another world. That was last week. This week, we look at what it means to be a shelter for honest questions. We look at what, it, what does it look like for us together to have honest wrestling with faith and doubt? And to not just do that, to not just be a shelter for honest questions, to not just wrestle with faith and doubt, but to be challenged to come and see something. And that's what we're looking at today, to come and see something that we didn't think was possible. We're going to be in John 1, verses 43 through 51. Let me read this to you. It says, the next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come from Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. Jesus said to Nathanael, coming toward him, and said to him, Behold, an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus said to him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. And Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. All right, before we get into this, we're going to have Q&A at the end as always. So if you have questions, get them in. You can, you can text in questions during the service, during the sermon. And last week, you guys messed with me a little bit, and you waited like a minute till after the sermon was over to ask a question. So there was an awkward moment. I had no jokes prepared. So don't do that to me today. I just need one question in before the sermon's over. All right, deal? Okay, good. So here's what we're going to ask today. What does it mean to come and see? And the first thing that we see is come and see means come and see together. 
So this is an invitation to explore our longings together. This is an invitation to wrestle with faith and doubt together. When Nathaniel goes and meets Jesus, his friends invited him. And this is what the church is in a lot of ways. A lot of friends coming and saying, come and see what we found. Now, I want to tell you, I know that you know there's a lot wrong with the church today. And most of what is wrong with the church today is that we have lost the sense of come and see culture. And and so here's the question. What kills come and see? What kills this? And the answer is pride. Pride will absolutely destroy your curiosity. Pride will take you down. Pride will stop you from discovering any new truth that could set you free. Nathaniel almost lost everything because of his pride. He says, how can anything good come from Nazareth? Now, what he's saying by saying that is Nazareth is a place that is nowhere, filled with a bunch of nobodies, a bunch of hillbillies. You can imagine this prestigious seminary professor who hears about a backwoods preacher and all of this awakening is happening in people's souls and this professor says, no, He has not been trained. He's not even gone to seminary. We can't depend on him. And so the professor writes him off while this backwoods preacher maybe had a lot to teach the professor. This is how pride ends. Pride says this, I'm smart and I have found out everything there is to find out. I've searched everything, everywhere. And I have found that that which I seek is not there. Therefore, it doesn't exist. And this ends with hopelessness. This ends with cynicism. Because cynicism is saying, I found everything. I've uncovered every single rock. And I have determined that because I have uncovered everything and there is nothing out there that somebody knows that I haven't already investigated, well, then that means that there's nothing there. So I'm seeking something that that which I know not what it is, but I know I'm seeking something, but I've determined that I've searched everything out and haven't found anything, and so therefore there is nothing there. And this ends with hopelessness and despair. And I'm here to tell you, and come and see means don't give up the search. There is more. Keep looking. Don't settle. St. Augustine says, Our heart is restless until it finds its rest in him. Now, I'm going to add to what St. Augustine says, which is a dangerous thing to do. But I would say also stay restless until you find your rest in him. Meaning don't give up the search. There's more. There's an endless ocean to discover of God's truths and wonders to behold. So don't give up the search. And the biggest threat that you have in your life is a loss of curiosity. And the biggest threat that we have as a church is our pride. There's much more left of God to explore. So don't let your pride bend your mind away from truth. And don't let your pride cripple your mind. And this is our next point. Come and see means come and think. So I was recently talking to someone who had a friend who had ALS. And this friend passed away, but when he talked to his friend, 
His friend said, my body is not working anymore, but my mind does, and I have my mind. And I have an infinite amount of time to explore God. I mean, that's beautiful. And that's what come and see means. It means come and think about God. Come and behold him in your mind. You can't come and see God without your mind. Jesus invites Nathaniel to come and think. And, he, and look at what happens. So let me show you how he does this. Nathaniel starts off scoffing about Jesus. How can anything good come out of Nazareth? And he ends his conversation with Jesus pledging his complete allegiance to him. And Jesus is saying, Nathaniel, you aren't thinking. You don't know anything about me. And yet you're ready to follow me to the ends of the earth. You need to think about who I am. It's like Jesus gets a little bit uncomfortable when people pledge their allegiance to him without knowing fully who he is. Jesus doesn't want empty-headed followers. He doesn't want people who are blind to him. He wants people who have opened their eyes and have seen who he is and want to follow him to the ends of the earth. In Isaiah, God says, come, let us reason this out. God is inviting you into a debate of sorts. Now, if you go to Jesus like Nathaniel, without thinking, without reasoning, and it's just based on this emotional experience, because that's what Nathaniel had. Something happened under that fig tree. We're not told what it is, but he had this experience, and somehow Jesus knew what it was, and it made Nathaniel ready to follow him to the ends of the earth. And Jesus says, you're not thinking, Nathaniel. You're not reasoning this out, because if you are just living your life based off of some emotional experience that you had, well, then pretty soon you're going to have a negative emotional experience. And then when that happens, Nathaniel, then you're gone. Do you know the story of Job? The story of Job starts out like this. God and Satan are having a conversation. That's weird. And then Job comes up. Now, can you imagine if God and Satan were talking about you, what they would say? So Satan says to God, Job's not so great. You've given him a nice, easy life. You've blessed him with so much. So then God says, all right, have Adam. Just don't take his life. And the reader is like, no, please do not do that. God, what are you doing? And would you do something like that to me, God? And so we watch the story of Job play out. And his great life turns into a very difficult life. And Job is angry. And he has no idea what's happening to him. And he doesn't understand what God is doing. And he never fully finds out what God is doing. And we, the readers, never fully find out what God is doing. And so here's what Job does. In his frustration, he gets angry and frustrated. And then it says, in all of this, he did not sin. Why didn't he sin? Because he took his anger, he took his frustration, he took his misunderstandings about what was happening, and he brought them to God. See, there's a way to be angry at God and run as far from him as you can. And there's a way to be angry at God and bring all of your questions to him and say, God, I, I hear that you are good. And I'm going to trust this right now. So I'm going to come to you and I'm going to ask you to help me make sense of what is happening in my life right now. Go to him and not run away from him. Because there's gonna be things that happen in your life that you're not gonna understand. And you could very easily just take that and run from God. 
But if you do, you're going to miss out. Because the end of the story of Job is while he was at the lowest of lows, he's brought to the highest of highs. In fact, he never would have known the highest of highs without going into the lowest of lows. Because in the lows is where God went and met him and introduced the fullness of who he was to him. If you lead with your emotions, like Nathaniel did, when difficult things happen, you're gone. You have to reason things out when life is hard. In fact, I, I would say that you never really meet God unless you have suffered. Because we have a, the distinction of Christianity is a God who is all-powerful and has come to suffer. And so if, if the character of who God is is he's a God who comes to suffer for his people, then if we're going to meet him, we're going to meet him most in our own suffering. Because that's where he's going to come down and meet us in the dirt and in the dust. And that's where he brings us up then to the heights. That's how you meet God. He joins you in the pain and then lifts you up to joy. And then look at this about God also. This is about your mind. So Jesus says to Nathaniel, he says, Behold, an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Now that, those, that phrase is absolutely packed with meaning. And what he means by the, is this. So go with me here. So Israelites come from Jacob. Jacob's name is changed to Israel, and then God gives all of his people the name Israel. Now the name Jacob means deceiver. And God has just said to Nathaniel, Behold, an Israelite or a deceiver in whom there is no deceit. And he's saying this is someone who's coming to seek out truth. And, and then, look, look, look this, is, this is my favorite part. Jacob's name is changed to Israel, which means wrestles with God. And then God names all of his people Israel. And what God is saying is, if you're going to know me, we're going to have to have a wrestling match. And here's how the story went for Jacob. And, and because this is Jacob's story, this has to be a part of your story because God knows you're going to wrestle it out with him. So here's how it goes for Jacob. He goes to this river called Jabbok. And the name Jabbok means emptied. And he takes every, all of his possessions, sends them across this brook. He, says, he takes all of the people that he loves and he sends them across this ford, across this river, across the stream. And when they get across, he is there left alone with nothing, empty. And it's in that moment that this, this mysterious man comes and wrestles him to the ground who then later we find out this is him wrestling with God. And what this means for us is that the place where you meet God is when you are emptied. When you have taken all of the desires in you and all of your longings and you've let them scream out in your soul saying, I know that I am made for so much more and for a world that is so much more than this. When you dream about what you're made for, it's going to make you feel empty. It's going to make you feel lost. And you're going to say, I know I'm made for more than this. As soon as that happens, God tackles you to the ground. And you meet him there. And you start wrestling. And here's what that means. You never know that he is all you need until he's all you have. Until you have been stripped of everything. And when you meet him there, then you know he's enough. 
This is the story of our faith. And, well, that's the state of mind where you meet God. And after the mind is engaged, come and see also means, third point, come and wonder. The great adventure of life is finding God. There's nothing greater. There's nothing greater to seek. I mean, we're talking about you face-to-face with your creator and meeting him. We're talking about you traveling to the ends of the earth in search of something that you know not what, and then finally meeting him and saying, you're the one that I seek. And we keep settling for these smaller adventures. What could be better than meeting God? And what could be more courageous than stepping into that? Come and wonder, come and wonder means there's a breaking of your mind. You come and think, and then God breaks your mind. He gives you a paradigm shift. What Jesus says here, when he says the angels will be ascending and descending on me, do you know what he's saying? He's saying that he is, I mean, this is a monumental claim. He's saying he's the axis mundi. You know what that is? It's, it's the entryway into the divine. It is the, the place where heaven and earth meet and a gate opens up for the, all of things of earth enter into all the things of heaven. All religions are seeking something like this. It's like at the top of the mountain, there's a door, and when you get in that door, you meet God. And when Jesus says he is, angels are ascending and descending on him, he's saying that he is the axis mundi that all of the earth has been searching for. In him. He's the door that's on the top of the mountain. Everything you want, everything you seek, that which you know not what is him. One of the mistakes we make is we seek the things of heaven on the earth a bit too much. C.S. Lewis talks about this. I'm going to read to you this quote. It's one of my favorite quotes. It comes from a sermon that he gave. Um, It says, about good and beautiful things, he says, they are not the thing itself. They're only a scent of a flower we have not found, the echo of a tune we have not heard, news from a country we have not yet visited. He said, then he says, do you think I am trying to weave a spell? Perhaps I am. But remember your fairy tales. Spells are used for breaking enchantments as well as for inducing them. And you and I have need of the strongest spell that can be found to wake us from this evil enchantment. Now what he's saying is this. We are searching for this door. We're searching for the axis mundi. We're searching for the way in. And what we do is we take the beautiful things of the earth and we make too much of them. What he is saying here is that they are only shadows of the greater thing. And if he's the axis mundi, do you know what that means for you? It means now the door has been opened. And by faith, you can look at the beautiful things of the earth. And in seeing the beauty of the earth, you don't look at them and stop there. You go through them to the true end. And our biggest mistake is we start settling for what's right there in front of us and say, this is as good as it gets. I've searched everywhere. And here is the end of beauty. And what this is teaching us is that, no, it's just the beginning. It's the pathway, it's the door into paradise. And by faith, it means you can look through the beauty of the earth into the heavens. Sunsets here are only a window to the sunsets that are to come. 
All right, all right, all right, all right. What am I saying here? Well, I'm saying that we've lost our sense of wonder. I think this is actually a really big problem for us today. We explain, we explain everything away with science. Science is not meant to explain heaven. It's meant to explain the things of the earth. And what science does and what it can do is bring us to the far reaches of creation, as far as you can go. But then at that point, when you get to the end of creation, you have to start operating by faith. Even the atheist that says there is nothing beyond creation, what the atheist has done is explored creation and then come to the edge of creation and said, that's all there is. This is all there is. We're done. The atheist cannot prove that there's anything beyond creation any more than I can prove that there is a God. Everything must operate by faith. There's no way around this. And so what the invitation here is, is to stand at the edge of all things. And then here's what Jesus says to you. When you're at the edge of all things, he says, come and see. In other words, come and follow. Now, this is our fourth point. And come and follow means this. It's an invitation to stand at the edge of everything and then leave everything behind and step out into the unknown by following him there. That takes courage, it takes a sense of adventure, and it takes curiosity. And here's the problem with Jesus. He forces you to make a decision. He's not just a good teacher, as many say, because he has just claimed to be the axis mundi. He's just, this is another way of claiming he's the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. His claims are so monumental that you can't say he's a good teacher. Because if he's lying, then it makes him a bad teacher. And if he's telling the truth, then he's far more than a good teacher. When, when doubting Thomas hears from all of his friends that Jesus is risen, he said, uh-uh, I'm not falling for that. I tried hoping in him and it didn't work. I'm done. If I am going to believe, I'm going to have to be able to take my hands and put them in the holes in his side and the holes in his hands. And then the risen Jesus, man, can you imagine? Hello, Thomas. Here are my holes in my side. Here are the holes in my hand. Come and look. Come and see. Do you know what Thomas says? He says, you are God. Now, the skeptic has just made the greatest proclamation up until this point in the Gospel of John that has ever been made. And you know what that tells you? It tells you that if you are be willing to wrestle with your doubts and deal with them, then in dealing with them, you will be lifted up the heights of understanding. And what that means, it, you, you know, here's the problem that many Christians have, is we're scared of our doubts. Because we're scared of when we look at them, what they're going to do to us. So we avoid them. And then in avoiding them, we don't get to be like Thomas who says, you are God. We stand at a distance and say, you're pretty good. I like you. I'll follow you, like, to some degree. But I'm not going to give you my life. Jesus is forcing us to the crossroads. He's saying, come together, think 
wonder, and then stand at the edge of everything you understand and look out into the unknown and jump. Follow him there into things you don't understand because you just trust him and you know he's good. That's the invitation. And Jesus always gets very uncomfortable when too many people start following him. A whole crowd starts gathering and he says something like, ah, this is too much. These are half-hearted followers. So he makes a monumental claim about himself and everyone scatters. And if right now you're saying, yeah, get him, Jesus, get those phonies out of here. Well, my question is, are you really listening to him? Because he's calling us to be more than just fanboys of him. He's calling us more to be just fans of him because fans stand at a distance and admire him. Fans stand at a distance and study him. Fans stand at a distance, open up their Bible and even pray to him. Fans will say, yeah, I will tell you about him. I know how to tell all about him. I know the gospel. I know this about him. I know that about him. I pray to him. He's way over there, but I will tell you all about him by saying right over there. And what Jesus is saying is, no. I'm stepping into the unknown and you have to follow me closely. You can't admire me. You have to go all in with me. He calls you to risk everything and go on the adventure with him. He's calling you into the fire to be transformed. He's calling you on a journey to step into things you don't know or understand. He's calling you to a complete metamorphosis where you go from this caterpillar that crawls in the dirt and the dust into this butterfly that flies up and down on the axis mundi, on him, into the heavens. Meaning this, you go to him and he lifts you up to the heavens and you have this experience of him. And you're changed by it and you come back down to the earth, you're plunged back down to the earth changed. And then a month later, you have this other experience of him, and you are brought up to the heavens, and you experience him, and you come back down changed. And this continues to happen all the way through your life until you're finally all the way there. He's calling you to die, to take up your cross and follow him, to lose yourself, to find your true self. And the next question is, how can he ask so much of us? And the answer is that our sin demanded so much more of him. Last point, come behold. John the Baptist was the original one who said, come and see. And he says it like this, come behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. In our verse in Isaiah that says, come, let's wrestle it out, let's reason together. Right after that, God says, because I will take your sin that is like scarlet and make it white as snow. Jesus has to be more than just the axis mundi. He has to be more than just the way into the heavens. Because if he's just the axis mundi, it means the heavens are opened only to the angels that are ascending and descending, but not to us. Because our sin bars us. If we entered into the heavens with our sin, we would taint 
the heavens. So we're cut off, we're barred. But come behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And so the act of faith is you cut your sins off of you. You take the knife of faith to yourself. And that doesn't mean you stop sinning. I mean, yeah, it means something like that, but it means more than that. It means, in fact, probably the primary meaning it means is that you're cutting your sin, your record off of yourself, and you're taking all of your sins, past, present, and your future, and you're saying, here, Jesus, take them. And he holds them, and he goes right up to the cross, holding our sin, and he's crushed so that our sin can be crushed forever, so that our record is now clean. And then we look, we see the heavens open, we see the gate open, and we know this is my home. And I can go be with him now even. This is not a way future event. This is a now time. But the future is even more amazing. And so the call today is to take the knife of faith to yourself. Die to your old self. Take up your cross and follow him into the unknown. And in doing that, you will discover everything that you longed for that you didn't even know you were longing for. Let's pray. Father, we don't want this to be just nice, beautiful talk. We want to believe it to be true. And we need your help in that. So we believe but help our unbelief. As our faith and our doubt are mingling together, kindle hope in us and let that hope turn to faith and let that faith turn into us jumping out, holding on to you for dear life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Message Podcast. Like us on your favorite podcast provider, follow our social media at the Grove Church Official, and check out our website, thegrovechurch.co.